Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Voices of the Festival. I hope you're doing great. Uh, I'm here still in San Francisco and calling uh, our, our friends uh, around the world, especially in Savannah, of course. Uh, Voices of the Festival is a, a new um, live that we do for Savannah Voice Festival and we talk about all our guests and artists um, involved with our wonderful Savannah Voice Festival um, every summer. So I'm going to invite uh, our hosts. So, so we're using, um, we're going to have today the founders and the president, uh, uh, Cheryl Mills and Maria Suvis. And here we go, I'm inviting them. And we're going to have help with our executive director, Chad Sonka, which is actually connecting them. There we are. Hello. Perfect. Oh, hello. You look beautiful. Right there. Yes. There you are. We're great. We're great. I need to put it. There we go. There you look great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I will see you this year very well. Very good. So, how are you guys doing? Good. Very well. Thank you. And, and you are in Savannah today. We are in 100 degrees Savannah, Georgia. Oh, a, little bit, a little bit cooler today. Not, not cool. A little bit cooler. Not today. quite as hot. <laughs> Enjoy because here it's uh, 60 at best. We had one day of, of 90, which was rare. It was two days ago. Uh, it was lovely. Uh, but it's always, you know, 65, and that's the warmest we get. So anyway, but uh, um, it's always sunny, so it's great. It's California. And, um, and what guys are you doing in Savannah? Well, we're doing some community events. We're going to be working with our partners, Historic Savannah Foundation mm -hmm. and um, the Pride Center of Savannah and the Deep Center. And they're all really wonderful, valuable organizations that uh, work in the community to make Savannah a better place. And we feel really honored to be partnering with them. We can help them be better for Savannah. Well, we can add music. How's we'll add that? music, indeed, <laughs> indeed so. And, and what, what kind of uh, specific, what kind of collaborations are we doing? I mean, specifically We're with, gonna this, be doing, with this group. We're going to be doing today, actually. Yeah. So today we're going to be doing um, uh, 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 songs and stories in the squares. You know, Savannah is is built on squares. It was developed as you know in a in a system of squares by Oglethorpe, and um, those squares have so much history. Not just the squares themselves, but the buildings around them. So the historic Savannah Foundation, which was really built to preserve and um, bring attention to the rich colonial history all the way to modern history of Savannah, Georgia, uh, will have a wonderful docent go from square to square and talk about the history. And, and, and then what we do is we take our music and, uh, and just partner with that. So we'll do music from Alice Riley, which is um, Wright Square. We wrote an opera about Alice Riley, who unfortunately was executed in Wright Square. Well, and that was the er earliest history. Of mm -hmm. Early history, 1730, I think she was. Yes. And then we'll go on to Columbia Square outside the Davenport House, which was the first building that a wonderful part of history, uh, a woman by the name of Anna Hunter, actually saved. And so we'll do music uh, as well 
uh, with that. So the two operas that we're going to be putting together that we've commissioned with Michael Ching, uh, Alice Riley and Anna Hunter, two pieces of great history of Savannah, Georgia will be featured today as part of the historical walking tour. So it's, it's very interesting. And, and whoever walks by and hears beautiful music, that's great. Uh, if they want to stick around and follow us around, they're going to get so much more out of the day. And I know it's a little warm, but today's a little better. So hopefully we'll, we'll be comfortable and make some great music. Well, and the music adds to the ghost stories of Savannah, for which Savannah is very famous. Whether there are really ghosts, that's a whole other issue. But our music <laughs> adds to that. <laughs> exactly. Great. Well, so we're definitely going to... We're definitely going it's to talk about the, the, the operas uh, that we are doing this summer uh, in a second. But I'm going to go first to basic and tell us um, how did you come up with the idea of creating a music festival in Savannah? Well, it sort of evolved. I don't think we meant to do that. It was a happy accident. Well, in a matter of speaking, yes. <laughs> Although it, it was an area in which Savannah, which is not lacking much, lacked that area, and we hopefully are filling it to this day, about 10 years later. Well, Savannah Voice Festival was something that um, Cheryl and I built 21 years ago uh, to help uh, pay it forward, you know, to really help young artists and to mentor them. And um, it, it bringing it to Savannah as a as a program um, was definitely the plan. But what we did not plan was that the program itself would take on the look and feel of an actual festival. And Savannah is very festival based. Yes, you have the music festival, you have the book festival, you have the rock and roll festival, and film, film and festival, tons of festivals. So right. it's a destination for tourists. And so what we're, we're building now in our 10th anniversary year, um, not only new great leadership in, in yourself, Jorge and in, in Chad, Chad, but we're also uh, building wonderful uh, destinations for artists to come and try their skills and develop their skills and show off their skills, whether it be legacy artists like uh, Frederica von Stada and James Morris or new artists um, that, um, that no one's really heard of yet, but needs to get to know. So. And will and, and will hear of them, yes. Indeed. And tourism, tourism is such a big part of Savannah, and it's it will be part of its future. And we already see amazing um, audiences come now post COVID or or emerging out of COVID. Uh, we see people who are putting that on their calendar and knowing that if they come to Savannah in August, they're going to get a huge dose of um, a buffet of, of great music from cool. opera to musical theater. And you mentioned that, that uh, you created a voice experience um, at the foundation about almost 20 years ago, uh, actually, yeah, about 20 years ago, right? Or a little more? Voice experience was, was created and devised in 2000 um, so, so we are it became an official uh yeah great so i was less gray then <laughs> <laughs> yeah so
So was it was about twenty years ago. Great, and and, and right. certainly one of the one of the goals of of um, of voice experience was to um, share and pass the, the legacy of, of Cheryl Mills, which is one of the great baritones of the world. Yeah, and, I, uh, we're losing you. Okay? The internet's not very good. So. That's good. Uh, it, it, in my experience, you just talk uh, the same way as if you imagine yeah. that, that uh, <laughs> if it were good and it's going to, it's going to show, show okay. So, um, I, I am so so one one I mean we all know that Cheryl is one of the uh, great baritones uh, of, of history and certainly one of the uh, top 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 um, American baritones in certainly in the world um, Cheryl how would you um, summarize your your career um, in, in the highlights that you find especially um, uh, not worthy or, or, or meaningful to you from, from your point of view. Much as him or him. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Chaz, so, I hear you. So that's okay. Just keep, keep, talking, keep talking. The news article. No. Yeah. yeah just yeah. talk about your some of the highlights of your career. Well, my gosh, uh, Sydney Opera debut, and then a year later, the Metropolitan Opera after that to Vienna State Opera and then all over Europe. And I, I was fortunate to become an international singer, mostly Italian, but some French, not that much German. And there's a So uh, I think we left them. Let me let me try to invite him again. Um, I wasn't here then for a while. Uh, I'm going to invite him again. Hopefully they have a better connection. There we Hi, go. Chad. Are we back? There we go. You're we back. back. You're back. back. Uh, that was dark tunnel we went in. I know. Um, and Chad, you may choose to not be in Wi-Fi if your phone connection is reliable. Yeah. Yes. That's what we did. So Great. that's why. Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. Now. So anyway, let's go back to a very important question. Tell us, Cheryl. Tell us about um, your uh, 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 a snapshot well, of your huge career, the way you see it. Well, I think I, I was lucky. I was good, but I was lucky in that there weren't a host of other. Oh, Italianate, Italianate, not necessarily Italian, baritones in the world. Leonard Warren, as we know, had passed away, and Robert Merrill was, was in the last years of his career. And the Met was needing, they didn't want Marcellos or, or Sharplesses or Manon Lescaux or whatever. They didn't want those. They wanted, as I call them, the bombers. Louisa Miller, which was a huge, a huge plus for me in 1968, 
it was a star cast and then the freshman, me, with Montserrat Caballet, Richard Tucker, Giorgio Tozzi, Ezio Fagello, doing Louisa Miller, which hadn't been done at the Met for, oh, 30, 40 years. In fact, it, it's estimated that no one in that current audience had ever heard Louisa, because I think it was in the 30s that it had been done the last time. So for many, it was new music, albeit Verdi, yes. But because I was the kid, I was the freshman in this star cast, and apparently did my stuff, Tom Shipper's conducting, and that launched a career on another, another level, this international level that we're talking about. So the word went out, unbeknownst to me at the time, but people do talk in the opera world. Can you imagine that? People yeah. do talk in the opera world and, and gossip and all of the above. <laughs> and here I am now, gray. Time goes on. And uh, I mean, you, you have like over 600 performances at the Met and, and you sang in everywhere in the world. But I got to ask you a very hard question. If you had to pick one performance for whatever reason, for whatever reason that you want to talk about, which one would you tell us? <laughs> Oh, that's a hard, that's a hard question. I know, yeah. Also, when you go in to do a performance, you don't always know that it's going to be great. In fact, mostly you do not know. It has to do with colleagues. Are they good? And conductor and the orchestra and the things inside of you about which you really don't know. Uh, Louisa Miller, I already talked about that. That was a, that was a big thing. In Vienna, where I sang a lot at the State Opera, the Staatsoper in Wien, uh, there was an Otello, the end of a season, uh, I think it was the 89-90 season, with Placido Domingo, and, uh, oh, I don't remember who the Desdemona was. I think it was, who the Italian, uh, who's not singing anymore? Soprano. He does this to me all the time. Oh, yeah. I'm supposed to know. She's supposed to he know. He thinks I'm Google. I yeah. don't know. Probably anyway. Ritarelli. That was a hot performance. The most Probably. applause, the most applause that I ever had for the whole production, not just for me, but the whole production. Uh, why was that one especially great? I don't know. I think a serious singer, whether you're talking the pop world, Broadway world, the opera world, the symphonic world, every singer, every time they walk out, wants, at least tries to do their best. Well, I certainly did that that night. And I think Placido Domingo and my uh, collaborations always had a special electricity. I was, not always, but I've, I've often said our electricity was like 240 instead of 120. Well, I, I don't know if that's really true, but you know, that performance especially, because we had more than an hour, we had a hundred and 104 minutes of applause after the performance, which Whoa. is unheard of. It's huge. There was, there was like 40, 50 curtain calls, and usually you have three is normal, three or four. And it was 40 or 50. It was unbelievable. Placido wow. said he'd gotten something like that one other place. I never had. Baritones, in general, are not as famous as tenors. 
but wow i mean that that is uh, certainly a, a stark cast but that was that was not unusual in in your career that you have an all-star cast but to have 50 uh, curtain call that is quite impressive and of course this vienna is a very musical city with an audience that really know uh, their staff and love their their art form so uh, they were they were very very appreciative that's amazing and um maria tell us a bit about of your uh singing background before you you guys decided to become uh producers and and uh educators well i sort of live what what we what we do uh, in the sense that I was your typical young, ambitious singer that wanted to have a career and thought it was do or die, <laughs> had to sing or, or, or I would, had nothing else to do. Uh, but I always loved business, so that, that was always a sideline for me. I was actually president of Future Business Leaders of America in high school. Between that and my chorus work, uh, it kept me pretty busy. But I, I really wanted to be a professional singer, and I, I worked in that in that road. Well, you were, and I I was um, not at the level, of course, as Cheryl, but I I did enough to know what it was to be on stage, and I enjoyed it. I I recorded a wonderful CD with VAI with Greek songs. I always felt that my ethnicity was a big part of my art, so uh, the Greek music. Uh, was always part of my repertoire. I kept it with me, the same that an Italian might do with Neapolitan songs. And um, and then at some point when Cheryl, uh, we sang a lot together in those few years that I, I was launching a career. Um, and then when Cheryl decided to retire from the stage, make a decision one fall staff in Pittsburgh where we were singing together. Uh, I, did I say that? Did you I say that? you basically did, and I and I said, I remember talking to Fabrizio Milano, and I said, you know, Fabrizio, I think, I think I need to do the same. I don't I don't think it's going to be the life I want without without someone by my side, and um, that you know it's all about priorities. So my priority was a family life and and always singing. I never stopped singing, um, and I won't stop singing this summer, but. I just knew that that kind of career that I watched Cheryl do and give up so much to have, I could not. And it wasn't a hard decision to make. Uh, it, it felt a little strange, but because I loved business so much, I remember saying to uh, Michael Harrison, who was the director of Baltimore Opera at the time, he said to Maria after an audition, he goes, you're a wonderful singer. This is great. I, you know, why aren't you doing more of this? And I said, actually, Michael, I want your job. So, I remember saying that as a young singer. Um, so it, it, it was an, a very easy transition for me to become a producer. And I've always felt that I had an educator in me, so to do that as well. And Cheryl, as you know, well, has taught his whole life. So in, in addition, I have music education degrees. Right. Have bachelor yeah. of Music Education, Master of Music Education. And as I somewhat jokingly say, I just took out 42 years to sing around the world. Now I'm doing what I studied to do, teach, which is great. And I think, you know, what Voice Experience did was give him a solid vehicle to do that. And we didn't set out to create a Cheryl Milnes Foundation like others have done successfully. Um, but we, we just wanted to help singers and to call it something that 
would be about the connection between the singer and, its, and their community. Um, singers are not islands. They, they live in communities, whether it's a world community or it's a small community or it's an audience of one. We, we are always singers and we always have an audience. And so we just wanted to cultivate both. So our, our business was about audience development as well as artistic development. And that's what's so exciting about Savannah is that it sort of it embodies that relationship. And um, so it wasn't hard for me to do. I, I just, I guess every once in a while I think, gee, what if, but also kind of actually, no. I, I, think, I think I would have been unhappy and, and basically, isn't that what it's about? We need to be happy in the art we make. Well, well yes, we do. I should add to that. I'm very flattered that you know, there's a website and, and my career is considered the way it is, but it's all due to my wife, Maria, because this, this website wouldn't exist. Our interview wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Maria. Well, it's not right. just a website. It's a whole well, <laughs> industry. Uh, industry, okay, that's a good word. A website and, is just a, a, a piece well, of Well, industry, it. okay, industry. Good. All right. And uh, well. so it's for, for, I mean, uh, this is a question for the audience, obviously, I, I know. But, uh, but you know, Cheryl, you said that uh, the foundation is, is here to, to pass the torch. But how, how a singer like you pass the torch to younger singers? How, from your point of view? Passing the torch. Well, it's a good phrase. Obviously, am I? We're shaking the table. Am I shaking the table? <laughs> Which, that's how you pass information yeah, by shaking the table. Right? <laughs> not everybody. Not everybody is is uh, capable of that. And of course, we we can't look at somebody and say you have a look of a famous singer. There is no such thing as the one and only look, even one and only sound. You know, this, this uh, Verdi baritone title, which is mostly audience made, uh, you can't tell because sounds are different, physical appearances very different. And the sound that somebody makes at a given age, whether they're 19 or 20 or 25 or 30, obviously is indicative, but you can't see what's inside. You, you don't know what's in their DNA. Are they hungry? Do they want it? These, these are all parts of it. And we both tr throw out good vocal and musical ideas. Some people latch onto them and take them and, and run with them. And a lot of people don't. Well, I suppose the people that don't then are not destined to have a career. Unfortunately, being good does not guarantee a career. But it's the only way to have a career is to be good. Now, what does being good mean? Beautiful sound, I suppose, in our industry, and you would agree, I think, in our industry, beauty is a primary factor, beauty of sound. That can vary. You're, you may like a voice and I don't. Well, we're both right. That is, it, it, it's a, a personal Well, what do you feeling. always say? Inspire within reality. Well, that's a good phrase. Inspire within reality. What's reality? Well, that you get a, a feeling not with one lesson, but five or six or, or ten lessons, as you well know. 
one lesson gives you a brief insight, but not a complete picture. You've got to spend time with somebody and find out, are they musically savvy? Are they willing to accept ideas and experiment? If the answer is no to all of that stuff, there, there will be no career. And we're, we're lucky in singing. There are all kinds of careers. I say this to singers all the time. You can be a singer in a small church. Churches, you know, hire singers. You can sing in a church. They don't have a flute player of the Methodist church or a cello player of the Methodist church. They have an organ, sometimes piano, and a choir. Well, that was my background. My mother was a, a piano teacher, church choir director, and I was brought up in church music. And fortunately for her, besides the famous Protestant hymns, which we all knew, Bach, Handel, Mozart, Haydn, Schubert, Beethoven, uh, all the giants of the past, was the music that she liked. So the, the Elijah, the, the Deutsches Requiem, the Brahms Requiem, Ferrer Requiem, Mozart Requiem, lots of Haydn, you know, the, the seasons and uh, the creation, these in Bach cantatas, Messiah, of course, tons of times, even Judas Maccabeus and Israel and Egypt, another lesser known Handel work. I tell singers, young singers, they're not going to be hired to do Trovatore, uh, Madame Butterfly, Aida, or keep naming it, but they will be hired to sing Brahms, Mendelssohn, Mozart, uh, Handel, the Messiah. Every church does the Messiah or parts of the Messiah. That's where your first solo work should be. And often young singers don't know these works and they are great for the voice because they're not about high notes. The oratorial field, the sacred music field, not about singing, you know, somebody wants to do an aria. Understood. Arias are emotional and out there. But I've seen singers, and you probably have too, and you, you as a pianist and conductor have seen it many times. Somebody sings a whole piece worrying about the last high note. You can see that they're worried. Well, the, the sacred music area, usually for a, for a tenor, soprano, A flat, maybe A is the top, not a B flat, B or a high C. Those are arias. So learn the sacred music. It's great for your voice and great for your musicality. Great. And uh, talking about church, um, there's a question from, from an audience. Uh, and I'm going to ask you two questions because of that. So first of all, they say, have you been back to Sant'Andrea de la Valle since you did the, the, the video from Tosca? And we're talking about the, this video later. Uh, and my second part of the question is, um, how was well, the experience no, of doing of doing the Tosca in location? Well, I have not and all back, that. I have not been back to the church since we filmed it. It was very interesting. Before we started to film, I went in to look at this church, the San Andrea de la Valle, where the the opera was supposed to have at least the first act, and there were lines of priests looking at the ceiling. And I wondered, you know, why are these priests? It's there, it's Rome, it's their town, they, they know it. Well, the reason being the frescoes, you know, film, as, as you know, film takes a lot more light than live. 
all these churches in, in the whole world, but especially in Rome, the walls are somewhat lit, the ceilings never. Well, they had huge lights for the filming because you have to have more light for film. So the priests were looking at frescoes that they had never seen before in their church, which I found quite fascinating. It's a little easier to do operas when you're, you're, you're not faking a set on, a, on an opera stage somewhere at the Met or in Vienna or, or uh, Berlin or London, wherever, La Scala. It's a lot easier to, to what I want to say, fake it when you're in the real church, which we were. The whole first act was in the church. The, the San Andrea de la Vat, uh, no, that's a church. Um, where, where is Hospital it? Sant'Angelo. Well, but his office, he, he, it's the French embassy. Uh, now. Palazzo Farnese. Yeah, Palazzo Farnese. Farnese. Exactly. It's the French embassy. It's the French embassy. And the, the film company didn't have permission to go inside. So they filmed some exteriors. They show Tosca pulling up in a carriage pulled by horses, which it would have been, of course, it was 1800, I think, it supposedly took place. And everything else was filmed in the Castel San Angelo, which isn't really right, but you don't know that. You just see a room, you know, Scarpia's room, and you see the, the secret door where Cavaradossi is tortured and all of that. That, that was exciting to be in the Castel San Angelo. We, <coughs> We've we been back there. There we have been. You're yeah. totally right. right. And, we uh, filmed this. Your second question about the film, which we'll go to that. Yeah. We really filmed from midnight to oh, six in the morning because it was dark and you could control the lighting. Also, no tours in the middle of the night, of course, because it's a public place and there are tours during the day. So our day was make up like 9 p.m., makeup, costumes, starting to film at 12 midnight with appropriate lighting for uh, the filming. And at about 6 a.m., shut down. So our whole, our whole sleep and, and schedule was totally turned around. Although I was thrilled to be filming this. I think it's the only film you know, everything else was a look, what I call a look in. Lots of films from the The camera is seeing what the audience is seeing. This is, well, the camera, whatever pictures the camera took, that's what the audience is seeing, but live location. And I, I am very proud of that film especially the beginning where I was not. It shows uh, Angelotti, the former president of the, the former Union of Rome, escaping from prison. No music, no music. He's running. You hear, you hear the, the sound of his shoes on the pavement. Running, 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 uh, hoping that he's not caught. He's not caught. The Forspeiser, or the, the, you know, the, the introduction to it, was no music. Uh, 
Angelotti running, escaping from prison and hiding in the church. And then the music began. I thought that was brilliant. Did you do it? Did you do it in? Um, did you film in one day, each location one day, or do you have several days for each location? Oh my, a couple of weeks. I was actually singing La Forza del Destino in in London at the Royal Opera House. So when there was a two or three day break between performances, I flew to Rome. Now you have to understand, or the, the audience has to understand, I'm not singing live. The soundtrack's already made. So I'm in perfect voice no matter what I did. <laughs> I was in perfect voice. So I didn't even have to vocalize. You had to know the music and the rhythms and you were lip syncing. And I think we did a pretty good job. But the hardest job was, was a guy with the score watching, hearing the, 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 the soundtrack and watching our mouths. And he would stop us. If we were a little bit off, he would stop and we'd have to go back and do it again. And maybe we would listen to the soundtrack again. And so you were just a little late or a little early on something. You had to remember that. And so we did it, you know, page by page. If you got a whole page going at once, great. They would film a lot of it. And another thing, uh, what do they call that? You have a, a wine cup or, or the candles. Continuity. Con the continuity person, you had to be sure that if they shot it again, the candle was somewhere near the same burn down. You couldn't have one shot here and then the next shot you know, down there. You can't have that. So the lip syncing guy is watching and the continuity guy is watching. And hard work. Took weeks of flying back and forth, London, Rome, London, seeing a performance back to Rome. But you were always in perfect voice because it was a tape. <laughs> Great. And, and Maria, we are showing that, that video as, as part of our festival. Um, what's, um, um, why, why are we doing that? Oh, well, I, I think because it's for this reason, you know, it's so wonderful to watch a film with the artist that not only was part of it, but who helped conceive of it, of the project. So yeah, it's, it's fun to get together and watch opera on film. We do it all the time. But this has a little special layer because it's Cheryl telling stories about it. Um, there are many more stories about the way that was filmed. And I think the it's, mechanics, the yeah, mechanics it's of interesting it. for people. You yeah. know, we, we've, we've done that, attended. That's fascinating. Attended, yeah. It's, it's a very fun way to watch something and you watch it with different eyes. Like I always say, you know, part of the festival is built on the backstory. We love to share with our audience, you know, what's going on backstage and, and how artists are telling artists stories and, and helping them understand the process of art is, that's why our Masters in Voice series, I think is such a successful one because understanding how art is made is part of the enjoyment of it. Um, and that's why we do wine tastings. That's why we love working sure. with chefs, sure. you know, the process. So, so, you know, this is not uh, an outlying thing that we're doing with this particular film. It's very much in line with how our festival functions, which is, Hey, this is how we do it. 
And so enjoying it is going to mean so much more to you because, oh, there's that moment Cheryl was talking about. Oh, I think I saw a candle that was halfway down in the next scene. You know, it's fun. Well, the enjoyment in a way is the result, the film, the and final the film, but the process. And some people love the idea of the process and others don't want to. getting him to tell stories, well, you want, right? You want, you want the whole story? Well, actually, actually, we have... Uh, Not now. Howard Watkins watching, and he says that Cheryl is an amazing raconteur. And in, in fact, in fact, he is. Yeah, thank you, Howard. And um, and, and you were talking about the, the masters in voice, and we have the, the luck uh, to have uh, uh, Cheryl, uh, you, Maria, uh, myself, but also uh, James Morris come and do a master class. Um, what's um, uh, and we're bringing also the study grants. Uh, tell us about the, the, the study grant proposition. How do we bring uh, voice experience to Savannah? And what is uh, the importance again uh, of doing master class for for the whole audience? It's not just about hearing a young singer and watching them work with someone. It's about getting to know the master, right? The essence of the master class um, and hearing them discuss, hopefully, what their processes are. And, and, you know, I'm not a fan of people going to master classes in hopes that they're going to get to hear Joyce DiDonato sing or Cheryl Milne sing or James Morris sing. That's, right. that's not what it's about. Right. You can hear a recording. You know, it's, it's really about you know, hearing them articulate the craft and inspire the next generation. And then hopefully hear the difference. And hear the, and then the yeah. exciting moment where a little light of art and artists so so our we've always looked to that in our mission it is top tier mission of our organization so the master class is a product of it but even this summer our our Milne's voice studio will be done in Iowa at Iowa State University um, very wonderful that they are they're partnering with us to to have the space um, and we'll be working with 30 some young, beautiful artists and they'll be doing productions. Typically that would have happened in Savannah, but now during COVID we're, we're really changing a few things up this summer. Um, but we're gonna be able to bring 10 really talented study grant artists out of the studio. So they'll be able to leave Iowa, come to Savannah and be a big part of the festival along with the professional singers. Why? Because it's our mission. And, and it's a wonderful way 
to help them develop and then and then help the audience see the the um, matriculating that happens you know we we're very proud of the fact that we've had artists that started with us in our camp which is a teen program and matriculate all the way up to professional at literally so so it's about never letting go of the artist if the artist needs us we're there at every level of their development even to the point where we have artists that were with us as young singers that are now core parts of our of our faculty and artistic team um so ergo whatever direction a singer wants to go in admit we've had a singers become great administrators in our program and have gone on to work in big companies now as administrators. So what we are is a service organization for artists. And the result is beautiful performances, great singing, wonderful audiences, community engagement. All those things are a result and, and are very important, but they're sort of the spin out upon the axis, which is the artist. How can we help them? And, and in helping them, we keep the art alive because we know our art form needs constant care, push, understanding, um, uh, communication with our pop culture, helping people understand why it's valuable. What does it mean and why? Why should we care? You know, why don't we just hit Netflix and, and enjoy ourselves and forget it? Well, no, it's an absolute part of our zeitgeist. Um, this this art and not everybody knows that so mm -hmm. how do we how do we keep that going and present well a city like Savannah is the perfect move on with the rest of the story which is that our art needs to be part of the legacy of great singing and my goodness he really that doesn't he well, i said more than you asked but it's... indeed indeed no no that's great in fact uh, that uh, joanna pope is saying uh, so well said maria and uh, savannah has been a huge part of her development so thank you joanna and yeah, you'll be back this summer singing one of our lead roles so maria following uh, this question um the so in fact one of our performances is going to be cast completely by our study grant so we do the medium at the beautiful till fair and oh. The whole cast is going to be study grants, but how is that? Uh, how is that financially possible? How can you bring a whole group of students to do a performance in Savannah? Well, it has to do with another big part of community development, which is supporting the arts, and and um, the the concept of sponsorship, patronage, being part. We 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 say very. It's very cliche, but it really does apply, and we love it, that we're really a family. You know, the, the Milne's Voice programs are sort of this big family around the world of people who have touched the core of our mission and gone out and felt a sense of place here, no matter where they are in the world. So uh, a patron is a big part of that. So 
we've been extraordinarily fortunate to have our um, communities support us. We know that the government does some things, but not a lot. Uh, we know that ticket sales are a small percentage of sustainability. Um, it's, it's not new information. So how we actually survive is through Existence. Existence. Yep. And, and those people feel they're part of, of, the, of the organization and they, and they must because and you, are. It, it's, are you get so much back when you are part of that. And I think the people that are part of our sponsor sometimes in honor of something sometimes in memory of something well also when when somebody in the audience knows personally somebody on stage they love it even if without knowing anybody they don't love it they love it that they know you know Jorge or whoever is in the cast yeah that they have a personal interest in and they enjoy whatever it is that person is doing much more and, and imagine if you have a work, you have a study grant artist that you decide to sponsor, right? To see them do the medium at the beautiful rotunda at the Telfair, uh, at the Academy. And then two years go by and that artist now is main stage or that artist is somewhere else in the world with a successful career or successful moment. The pride, the, the joy, knowing that that person had an impact on the development of an artist. I had sponsors as a young singer. And I remember when I made my Carnegie debut, I, I invited them to be in the audience with me. And they were thrilled. The very first voice experience program that we did and the note that my sponsor wrote was truly this is where music meets life oh, and as true. you know that's still our tagline so it's it's just a wonderful <laughs> thing you know it's wonderful great and 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 we do uh, one thing that that uh, the, the Mills program does is connect the, the sponsors with the artists and support the performances and the, and the sponsors are not only the, the financial sponsors but also the moral support and the audience sponsors so, so they support our performances by attending and, and we encourage uh, more people in the community to join us and also in, in fact more of our, our sponsors to, to go out and bring more people and, and make our family bigger. But as you said, we are a big family that, that we do everything together. So um, uh, JC says, uh, sponsors are the backbone of the opera industry. And so many young singers don't have the means uh, and, and, and by sponsor, uh, by, by the help of the sponsors that we are able to make it possible. Thank you. Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. one, one, uh, 
lovely my time as a study grand artist. Thank you for being us. Even just for last summer, I served as a launching pad for some incredible opportunities. Excellent. I'm so glad to hear. Uh, 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 Melanie, that's Melanie that uh, says, okay. Um, what? So I'm, thank you for watching, guys. Um, Yes. Another thing, so so um, let's talk about specifically the, the, the festival a bit. So we know that we're doing the medium, we know we're doing the movie night. Uh, and we, for example, we have uh, a, a, a singer that has been coming through our program for many years. He's as a singer, as a student, and, and then he leads shows in the opera. Now he has his own feature show, which is Peter Lake doing a Lanza show. Uh, tell us a little more about uh, the relationship of voice experience with, with Peter and this this new production or of, of a, a solo piece almost of Mario Lanza. Mario Lanza. Well, you know, it's interesting because we, we have such a wonderful group of singers that we've tried to help, uh, you know, cultivate with their own projects. And, and we've done many, many things. Even during COVID, we never stopped, right? We never stopped doing videos. And, and Peter was definitely a big part of that. Uh, about Anna uh, Diptych, you know, this, this wonderful night of comedy and drama. Uh, one tenor is the, dare I say, the Dapergito of, of uh, Alice Riley. He has to be all the villains. And in this case, it's the tenor who is the, the villain. And, and Peter just has so much ability to morph himself and to do things and to, to act. And then, of course, to be the elegant Mr. Davenport and Anna Hunter's in that Anna Hunter opera right after that. So, so Peter is going to be... A, big part of that opera night, a very, very historic night for us at the, the Savannah Voice Festival. And then to turn right around and do this charming Mario Lanza, mm -hmm. Be My Love uh, night, it really shows how artists, are, they're, they're not one thing. They don't do just one thing. And well, and just bring it home. 
from. Oh, well, I mean, great memories. Oh, you know? my heavens. Everyone so, just loved that to death. The way and, you, and, you know, I mean, you talked about what performances Cheryl remembers. I think I have this wonderful little box of great memories of artists through these 20 years, back before Savannah Voice Festival even, where I can tap into and just say, that was great. And, I, and, and not necessarily because it was perfect, but just that it was great. That artist moved me and, and imprinted on me and on many others. And so that's the joy of what we do. Great, great, great. And um, t since we were talking about uh, Alice uh, and Anna, we call it Alice and Anna, but it's Alice, really, uh, and Anna Hunter. Uh, and this is a, a new opera that uh, Savannah Voice Festival commissioned to Michael Ching, and we have done it as an uh, two parts, and now we finally present it as a double bill, as intended, so as a whole evening. What was the motivation in creating an opera? I think we wanted to tell Savannah ghost stories, first of mm -hmm. all, very okay. simple. Um, but the, the, the real artistic motivation uh, came to me. Um, I don't remember exactly what was the catalyst, but I thought, you know, we're helping artists in every way we could possibly think of, except in, in composition. Um, we wanted to have art, we wanted to help create new works that were could have sustainability for a young artist um there's wonderful things out there being written every day and we have huge respect for the great composers of today um but we felt we wanted to be part of that conversation and i have worked with michael as my I worked with Michael. I did the world premiere of Boz's Ghost. The, the Cheryl's conducted for Opera Memphis when Michael was there. Um, I've known Michael so long and as many different versions of myself. And he was the first person I thought of to, to help drive the idea forward that the operas could be accessible to both singer and audience. We've done many, many commissions with Michael, and but these were the first two. And, and the, the idea behind Alice Riley was really about trying to engage Savannah as part of our identity. So I remember there was a wonderful book called um, The Haunts of Savannah, or Savannah Haunts, I believe. I'm, I may have gotten it wrong. Somebody correct me if they're out there knowing it. And it was written by Linda Sickler. Uh, and another writer, and but Linda specifically, and I tell this because she and I sat at lunch at the at the Griffin uh, right, the, the old pharmacy. tea house um, with Leslie Francis, our public relations guru, and I said to Linda, I didn't tell Linda that I was looking to do a, a ghost story, but I said to Linda. If you had to write about one ghost in Savannah, who would it be? And I had already read the book and I had fallen in love with Alice Riley, but I didn't say anything. And she said, oh, Alice. And it was almost like- And you kicked her under the table. This sort of like moment, you know, I kicked Leslie under the table and I went, well, Linda, we're writing an opera about Alice. So, 
Diana is the way it is today. Uh, the Irish indentured servant experience in Savannah is a very important part of Savannah's history. And, um, and of course, a woman who was strong enough in the 1940s and 50s to gather up other strong women and affect change in the actual infrastructure of Savannah is no small feat. So, um, so that's why. It's the other, the other yeah. And we're thrilled. Michael was fabulous because Michael, we said, Michael, you can't do this, 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 and we want you to do this, this, this. And any other composer would have said, bye. <laughs> and well, Michael. In fact, he invited. He, he was thrilled. He, he said, invited oh. suggestions and yeah. help. He said, I, I really, he learned to trust what we were saying. Michael and I would have conversations all the time about how things could be constructed. And I, he was always so inviting and so respectful of my sense of, of drama and my sense of, of things. I wanted a lot of women and so did he. And I wanted there to be some interesting little elements to it. For instance, Alice is played by two people. And I wanted Alice to have a last five years moment with herself in the middle of the opera. And so I remember presenting that to Michael and he went, hmm, let me think about that. And he created this amazing Well, the hardship made her voice go down. Yeah. So you had a soprano before a and then a mezzo after. <laughs> soprano before yeah so so it was that i think it was a collaboration and now being our composer in residence i mean michael is very much a part of our organization in, in a huge way and and now we'll say you and know i want to shout out that that you know the organization is not cheryl and maria and, and certainly maybe it started that way but it's not anymore i mean it never really was it was always cheryl mills and friend and it was the amazing faculty that has come our way and it's the incredible artists that have collaborated lifelong with us, um, their dedication, my team, the, the incredible administrative team, Lonnie Winsky and now Chad Sonka and others like just, um, you know, it takes a village to build an arts organization. And so I, we are happy to take a little rolled step back and, and push everyone forward and say, okay, now, it's your turn, take it over. Um, you know, I know we're getting ready to close up, but Nora London passed away yesterday. Nora London drove the George London Foundation to be what it was to mentor young artists. Nora was always there for every artist, helping them with everything at every layer and every level. She was an opinionated, elegant, smart woman who knew opera. And she is an example and a hero of mine of carrying a legacy of an opera singer forward in a way that makes a difference in, in the industry. So I want to shout out to Nora. We're going to miss her a lot and, and inspired me to do what I do. She was an inspiration to me, as is yeah. Barry Tucker with the Richard Tucker Music Foundation. These people inspire me to do this kind of thing. So um, we can't do it alone. It's, it's really, mm -hmm. we're so grateful. Indeed. And this is our, our 10th anniversary season, so we are very happy to to be in the 10th anniversary season. And just to wrap up uh, our, our fantastic conversation, so we call it uh, Voices from Beyond. And so I will ask you guys to tell us why is it called Voices from Beyond? And second, why uh, all everyone should come and see the festival? Well, voices from beyond, meaning that it can be anything you decide. Voices right. from another realm.
really been something we have missed for so long. And we're not quite, we, we haven't quite finished replacing the hunger that we had of live music. We're, we're, still, we're still in the process of replacing all of that loss. So come to the festival because it's 20, 23 events in two weeks. It's a lot. So if you come the whole time, you can just, you can get it all in one. Or if you only come for a long weekend, you can get something every day. In some cases, two, two times a day. So it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me. Uh, well, thank you for my first, first, thank you for, for making me uh, your new artistic director first of all, and thank you for having me in the family 20 years now, uh, over 20 years now, so. Uh, well, I mean, Jorge, thank you for everything. We, thank we, you for thank all you. you do for doing yes. this wonderful oh. program and for being such a, a fantastic partner to us all these years and and to everyone that's listening. And, and, and your musicality, honor. and your musicality. Yes, thank yes. You. And uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. And everyone, thank you for watching and your comments. We adore that. And I will see you all in the festival. And I will see you next week when we talk to another voices of the festival. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Maria. I will see you soon. Bye. Bye, everyone.